Hello, Sobertown. You want to do that again? Because I accidentally um, yeah. talked over you, I think. Okay, okay. I think you should leave that in. I don't think you should edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Sobertown. Let's jump on that train and ride, right into the wonderful, amazing world of sobriety. I'm here today with Sarah Malloy. What's up? And I'm here today with Elaine Schuyler Neal. So I'm and you super, are hanging with the sober baddies. Yes, the sober baddies. I'm super excited to introduce our guest today. I feel like I'm going to nerd out a little bit, to be honest, but that's cool. Um, so today we're talking with Lisa Chapin. Lisa is a licensed addiction and professional counselor. She is a contributing editor to marriage.com and a provider for the Given Hour organization, which services the military and veteran community. Her professional experience includes military intelligence, wow, <laughs> corporate business management and organizational change and coaching. She works in a variety of areas with specialties in addiction and trauma. She was born in North Dakota is based here in Colorado. And I'm also happy to say that she is my therapist. Thank you for being here, Lisa. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. So I really wanted to have you a guest on as a guest on our podcast, because you kind of said something to me lately that just kind of frankly blew my mind. And I've been thinking about ever since it's been really super useful to me. And we were talking about concepts around chasing happiness. And I sort of wanted to put this under the microscope a little bit, break it apart, inspect it, because I think there is that question in the early stages of recovery, like, can I even be happy now without drinking, especially in this culture um, that embraces it so much? So I first want to ask, do you see this a lot, people grappling with or reassessing their sense of happiness and recovery? Oh, yeah, definitely. I would say there's a universal desire to be happy, right? I mean, most of us have at one point have said, I just want to be happy. I remember when I was a little girl, I used to blow out candles and say, I just want to be happy, right? And, and that, but that concept is so vague. Like, what does that actually mean, right? And so I think having a better understanding of how we define happy at all stages of our lives and getting a better kind of understanding of it and what that means to us individually is so incredibly important right yeah totally. there's so many definitions of happiness like I feel like I'm yeah. still even getting a grapple grapple on this like at age 44 yeah I also like I hope I'm not jumping the gun but I feel like when we're recovering from an addiction we're still trying to untangle the difference between happiness and dopamine surges Right. Well, and, and, you know, the thing is about happiness and, you know, just like, just like sadness, happiness is an extreme behavior. And I think sometimes we would love to be happy all the time, but if we don't have this kind of spectrum of emotions that we experience and feel comfortable having that spectrum of emotion, we can sometimes try to only gravitate towards those those higher experiences yeah. and not be comfortable in what I like to call contentment and where that's really where we want to be. If you think of a bell curve and that, you know, back to maybe sixth grade mathematics or 
Um, Ultra yeah. that bell curve is really where that 80% of the time we want to lie. That's contentment. That's happiness and feeling like we are good with where we're at. And then we have yeah. some highs where we are happy. Uh, like eating cake for me makes me really happy, yeah. right? But I don't want to stay there all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Because, you know, and I want to be in that middle part. And then I don't want to be sad all the time, but it's part of life and experiencing that. So being comfortable having that spectrum of emotions, I think is really, really important. Yeah. Wow. That brings up, somebody just posted on our app, something like a Buddhist philosophy about the middle way and how, um, just, just speaking to that exact concept, like that, but more from a philosophical standpoint of like happiness and suffering come from the same place. And that we want to, um, strike this balance between like, we, we actually don't want to be striving for, um, total, like 100% happiness all the time. Um, yeah. which is something I would have never thought of because I feel like there's this notion that, uh, or this, these traps, maybe we fall in where we're always thinking like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll be happier if I yeah. have the better job or the better income yeah. or the car right. or the set of pots and pans. No joke. I just had to get off a ledge about buying pots and pans the other day. I was like, I would really love these pots and pans. They don't have nonstick plastic that I'm eating. Maybe that'll mm-hmm. make me happy. <laughs> Why do right. we do that? Well, I we think I think before we go to the like chasing happiness, mm-hmm. I feel like we should sit for a minute in this contentment concept and this like middle way concept because I feel like my mind was blown when my therapist said to me, "Imagine you're on a boat in a river and you need to you're going. We're going through life. Time marches on. You cannot stop. And happiness is on one bank." And, you know, sadness or suffering is on the other bank of the river. And you don't want to be zigzagging around, you know, to each bank. And you don't want to spend too much time on one bank. You want to kind of center yourself and say, yeah, that was a great parade. I really enjoyed it. Or, yeah, it's really sad that, you know, I don't know, my favorite boots got ruined. (laughs) And try to, like, have a sense of, like, not homeostasis, but contentment like a maintenance of a middle road that you're not going to extremes and trying to stay in one Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, and I think you know what I see in you know when when somebody or when when we're when we're working on that sobriety we have gone from extreme behavior so sometimes what happens is and this isn't in every case but it's sometimes what we see we self-medicate to try and numb or take away those negative feelings right and so we're diffusing that bank to your to your analogy Sarah or your your therapist analogy and then we we often think well the only way to get out of it is to go to the other bank and so one level of dysfunction leads to another where we end up just kind of wanting the happiness so terribly bad but not really clear on what happiness means to us or not realizing that it's unsustainable over a long period of time. And so we end up feeling discontent and frustrated and right kind of back on that other end of the spectrum rather than being in the middle and being like, you know, there are some things in my life that could change. There are some things that aren't perfect right now. And that's okay because there's so many other things and, and there's a balance. 
between totally. the good and the bad, the dark and the light, however you look at it. I feel like I have to jump in with two quotes from the internet. For me too, because it's I know. like, Are you there's so many things. I know, I should be, I should be, but it is, it's like, because there's so many things that just blow my mind about this because I just thought, aren't we supposed to be striving for happiness? And what is that? And now I'm just kind of like, oh, wow. So maybe happiness isn't striving for happiness after all, which just kind of yeah. blows my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so there's one quote from the internet that really kind of blew me away whenever I first found the sobriety. And it says, it's amazing how much pain we'll go through to avoid pain. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yep. I'm like avoiding pain is like, that's suffering in itself. Like be in pain or you can suffer like the choice is yours. Yeah, yeah. that's so true. I feel like there were a lot of nights that I just kept drinking because I didn't want to experience the withdrawals <laughs> or I thought that it was going to help me sleep. So I just kept doing it because it, it was just what I knew to do to assuage my discomfort. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, when we're thinking about these kinds of things, I mean, so how do we kind of how do we know like to identify this when it's happening? Like, how do we spot this when we're, when we're in it? Cause that's the thing is I didn't even realize I was doing this. Right. Let me step back and kind of talk a little bit about what happiness, how we get to this place. As, as Western culture, there's some nature versus nurture, right? Um, our, our societal values are usually externalized. And so we are told from a very young age as a society that we should have a great job. We should have a lot of money. We should have, 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 just fill in the blank, right? And so all of those, those necessities are externalized from our body. And so we, we learn that over time that to be happy, I should have a great career or I should have a, a house, a big house, or I should have whatever it is that we are kind of that's ingrained in our mind. And so we start striving for that, not realizing that when we get those things, we find that they're not giving us what we're looking for. We, we hear this a lot with lottery winners. They win millions of dollars and we all think gosh if I won the lottery I'd be so happy right but statistics show that that isn't the case because it becomes this kind of this struggle to find what we're looking for in these external factors and the other thing that we often do is because when we reach whatever goal it is that we're striving for so say say I said to your to your um um, example, Elaine, once I get those great pots and pans, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be cooking. I'm going to be doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing, right? Then you get them and you, it's almost like you find that it's, it's not what you expected it to be. And so then we move the needle and then we're constantly chasing this dangling carrot, telling ourselves, well, I got the pots and pans, but now I won't be happy until I'm completely vegan or whatever it is that we move that dial because we think that that next thing is gonna bring us happiness because it's all externalized. The magic about contentment 
is contentment is when it's internalized. That happiness becomes something that we are satisfied, we feel confident, we feel comfortable in our own skin. And so we don't need these external validations or these external self-esteem to give us what we're looking for. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. And you know, I was just thinking about- That's amazing. It's so true. And I was just thinking about neighbors mm-hmm. that I had in Florida that would do things like they got the house, then the wife got the nice car, then the dad had to get the nice car to match, and then they redid their whole house, then the yard had to match the house, you know? And it's just exhaustive, even just thinking yeah, about like a treadmill. things. Yeah, it oh, really it is. is. And I keep thinking to myself, so how do we, how do we, um, be content? How do we avoid, how do we avoid that consumeristic suck, you know, that like sucks us in that, that tells us after all these years, if it, if it does come from our Western culture, um, telling us that we need these things, how do we break away from that? You know? Yeah. You know, I think what I often see is we sometimes notice it through, you know, symptomatic um, mechanism. So <clears throat> I'll have somebody come into my office and they'll say, you know, I just, there's this over-functioning that they're doing. I'm, I'm working all the time. I just keep going and going and going. And I feel really empty. I do not feel like I'm getting fulfilled. And that usually is a symptom of when we see that somebody is kind of chasing that happiness to use the term that you guys um, introduced earlier. And being able to understand what is it that you're searching for, right? Because, and chances are, they will say something that's external and then bringing it back to being able to say, oh, well, what would happiness really look like to you? And getting them to stop and go internal. Like, how would you be satisfied or happy or content with yourself? If you had nothing around you, how would you feel that calm and that peacefulness? And so being able to understand our own, what we stand for, because everybody has values and values change over time. So the values that, and let me explain that a little bit because that could be misinterpreted. We all have certain core values that we all stand for and that we individually stand for. Um, So let's just say honesty, integrity, uh, passion, and trust are some of my values, right? Those are going to be core to who I am at any point in time. But there are some things, some values that may change and adapt over time, depending on where you're at in your life. So oftentimes I'll talk about when my children were younger, my values were really around ensuring that I was kind of providing that scaffolding for them, being there, being present, providing that stability and providing that stability in their life. And so my professional career may, even though it's a value to me, may have been put on the back burner a little bit because that was where I was at at that moment in time. Now, as they have grown, I have been able to grow as an individual. And that happens for all of us. So that's where the values can be adjusted. We can have everything we want out of life. We may just not be able to have it at the same time. And that's where we can adjust and tweak. And 
the same thing with happiness, the way we define happiness may be different. When I was 12 years old, happiness was getting that Cabbage Patch doll. Like that's all I could think about, right? That was happiness to me. At my age, at this point, I really don't need a Cabbage Patch kid. So happiness adjusts and changes, right? So being able to understand how are you defining happiness? What does that really mean for you as an individual and how that aligns to your values at that moment in time? I so really wish important. I could pull out a Cabbage Patch doll right now and be like, look, <laughs> wouldn't you get a trip out if I just had one back here? <laughs> you know, I never Cabbage did get one. I got happiness. a little handmade one. <laughs> I never did get one. I got a handmade one and I was like, oh my God, really? so back to the like um internal contentment and finding it as something that's internal I feel like that's like one of the first lessons of sobriety right is that we have to um find ourselves and learn to like like ourselves instead of escaping ourselves right and that's where you start to try to find some contentment with who the fuck you are because you don't have a choice. Yeah. And that comes through this mm-hmm. exploration, right? Like, who am I and what do I stand for? And sometimes it's easier to start with who am I not than figuring out who I am and knowing that that's evergreen. Because again, I'm not the same person I was at 12 as I am now, but being able to kind of put a stick in the sand or, uh, and be able to say, this is who I am and that's okay. That, that kind of uh-huh. radical self-acceptance of I have mm-hmm. flaws and I have strength and I am beautiful the way I am. And that doesn't, that comes over time. It sounds a whole lot easier than it is. It's a lot of internal work around self-exploration, understanding your strengths, understanding your values, understanding, um, you know, what your expectations are, how you define life, what you need out of life. All of that has to be done to be able to get to that contentment point. Yeah. No, that's huge. I never even thought about looking at it as what am I not, which, which is, which is going to be used. I could write a whole journal entry about that for a whole day, (laughs) whole day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you have to define yourself. I think like for us, like when you stop drinking, you have to kind of define yourself because I think so much of your life, like is defined by like your cases of champagne and how you throw a brunch. And it's like, I actually like, you know, a walk after dinner and I like to do the dishes and I like to sit quietly in the morning before everyone gets up, you know, and you, you have this time with yourself to be authentic and just sort of observe. And I, for me, it always comes back to gratitude. Like, you find that gratitude. And I think like if we're baking a contentment cake, I think gratitude's like one of the major ingredients, right, Lisa? Oh, it absolutely is. Gratitude and compassion, self-compassion, I would say are the two keys. You're baking that cake or that bread, whatever, I can't remember what you just said, but whatever you're baking, there's usually some key ingredients in there. One is usually an egg and one is usually flour, right? Or some kind of flour. Those definitely have to go. Because if you don't have self-compassion, right. then you're constantly negating that gratitude. Mm. <clears throat> cool. 
What else? What are the, some other ingredients in the contentment cake? <laughs> so self-exploration, understanding who you are, what you like, what you don't like, um, self-acceptance. Um, oh, and I would say even radical self-acceptance. Yeah. We, because we all have facets of ourselves that we may or may not. But what I mean by that is I've always been fascinated with people like Jack Kerouac, Kerouac that could just kind of pick up and they're just like nomads. They move around the world. They have no connections to material things. And it's, they just kind of go around and around and around, right? Well, I am not that person. I like stability. I like security. I like to have roots in the ground. And now, do I do I wish I had more of that kind of gypsy nomadic aspect of myself? Absolutely. But radical acceptance is me saying, I could never do that, though. But I'm so fascinated by it. It's not in my DNA to be able to live like that. But I love that people can, and I'm very fascinated by it. That's radical acceptance of knowing who I am, even though it's not something that maybe I would kind of, you know, that I would think would be sexier, kind of um, in interesting about uh -huh. myself. Radical acceptance is this is who yeah. I am for better or for worse. In, yeah. in radical acceptance, like where does like getting over shame and, um, any guilt that you have like about your past where does that fit into acceptance is it just get over it <laughs> you know how does that fit you know, into that's where self compassion mm, self -compassion. that's where really where self compassion is that key ingredient right because <clears throat> cool. when we know better we do better and we sometimes don't we've learned things or picked things up along the way through whatever experiences that we've had. Sometimes it comes from our, our nuclear family. We pick up some, some codependency behaviors, some passive aggressive behaviors, whatever it is, we sometimes pick these up without even realizing that they're unhealthy. And then we carry them with us over time. But we don't realize that they're unhealthy until they start having a negative impact on our lives and we go oh shit that didn't work very well that didn't go very well but that's the way that i've always done things mm -hmm. right yeah but and so when we make those mistakes or we have those experiences what we often do is we go oh my gosh why did i do it that way why did i say that why did i act that way and we shame and we judge ourselves rather than looking back on in self-compassion oh, I'm learning about myself. I'm learning about how I have carried these learned behaviors with me. And now I have the opportunity to change them. That's self-compassion and not judgment. Wow. Yep. That's huge. Yep. Yep. And you were talking- uh, what, Like radical acceptance. Uh, when you said self, radical self-acceptance, I think that's one thing, but- earlier we were kind of talking about you know accepting life as it is do you can you talk anything about like radical acceptance of experiences in your life yeah um 
I think, and this goes back to kind of the Buddhist philosophy um, of that middle ground. And I was reading a book and they had given kind of an example. I was reading a Buddhist book and they were talking about how if we, if we never had a toothache, we would never understand how it feels to not have a toothache. And yeah. so it's that, yeah. that suffering that helps us understand when we are not in suffering and gives us that opportunity to have that appreciation and that gratitude and that contentment. And so I think one, when we think about radically accepting life, we need those ups and downs. And that goes back to the happiness discussion that we had. And that's why it's an extreme behavior. We could never truly live in happiness all the time because we would become, it would accommodate and it, it would be compromised. And then we would have to find, you know, you know, excitement or something else because happiness would be, become so diffused because we don't have oh. anything to balance it out. Nice. Yeah, that's a great point. Excellent. Yeah. And you know, I always struggle with like things out of my control when I'm balancing happiness, like other people. (laughs) 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 How like when you're, you know, because also too, like you gave me this great homework assignment. And by the way, I talked to so many other people in recovery who are like, your therapist gives you homework assignments. My therapist doesn't do that. <laughs> I want to get some homework yeah. assignments. Well, it's not always very popular. <laughs> it's cool. It's but, not very popular. It's important. <laughs> but you gave me this homework assignment, it which I important. haven't done yet. But it was all about like um, thinking about what happiness means to me, like in small moments and things like that. And I even before like like I was like, even before you finished saying, I was like, oh, I get what she's getting at because, you know, sometimes happiness isn't this big grand for thinking, you know, far away place. It's the small things. It's like, it's like seeing your kid walk up to you after school and, and a warm muffin and all these small little things. Happiness are, are smaller things. And I get it. And that's, that helps me, um, be grateful for the smaller things, which I think will help me in a larger sense, appreciate like my own relationship with gratitude, my own expectations and happiness and all that. And that's all awesome, (laughs) amazing advice. But what about like, how do I control, like, how do I control my, like, how do I deal with other people stressing me out? (laughs) <laughs> and that, those kinds of things that influence my potential happiness. Do I just say, like, how can I be grateful for assholes? That's the real question. <laughs> you don't take responsibility for them. Say more, Sarah. What do you mean by that? Like what I feel like, I feel like you, you can't change them. And so if you don't own that behavior and you don't like let it in and you're not taking responsibility for their behavior, then it can't touch you. Mm. And I've said this, I'm going to do my little circle speech. I've said this so many times, but it really carries me. I have worked to draw a circle around myself and I, um, cause I kind of learned through my therapist that I was, I learned some codependent behaviors and I, they were kind of damaging my marriage and damaging myself my contentment. And so it's like, I'm going to draw a circle around myself. And then 
Um, inside that circle, all those things I'm responsible for. Those are the things that I take responsibility for. And I'm also going to work to view the circles around other people and um, let them take responsibility for the things that are inside their circles. And when stuff goes down, it's like, that's not in my circle. And I'm a lot happier. My circle is exactly the way I left it. You know, my circle is exactly the way I set it up. Yeah. Yeah, that's we think that thing. How do I do on my homework? Do I get a gold star? Sarah's <laughs> a former teacher, so she wants her gold star. I used to be an elementary school teacher. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so boundaries, right? Yeah. Now, and everything yeah. you said is exactly right, Sarah. Setting those boundaries and knowing what is within your circle of control and maybe what's in your circle of influence, because sometimes mm -hmm. we can only control ourselves and we can control how we react to other people. We can sometimes influence others and we can, you can, that's that kind of, if we think of a donut and then we have the hole in the middle of the donut hole, that's where we can control ourselves. And then kind of the donut piece is where we can influence. I can influence my kids to eat healthier or to, have uh -huh. time management or critical thinking skills, but I can't do it for them, right? And it's the same way when it's yeah. coming into us, I can influence those around me to help them not be assholes or whatever it is, whatever behavior that's kind of trickling into our filter. But I think it is really important to be able to set those boundaries. And sometimes when we, we can't though, right? Because there's there's certain times where Let's just say, well, we have the holidays coming up and, you know, there's a lot of discussion now about getting together with family who we haven't seen for a long time. And, 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 you know, we, we know that there's going to be some interaction. So a physical boundary or a mental boundary can be really challenging at times because there's some people mm -hmm. that just find ways like Swiss cheese, they find ways into those little holes Absolutely. that we have with that circle. And so then what I find works really well is positive intent or assuming positive intent about that situation. And so if my, if my, my crazy uncle starts to say some things that really start to impact me and, and his energy is starting to filter through my Swiss cheese boundaries, maybe if I assume positive intent, is he doing the best that he can? Is he doing the best that he yeah. can with what he knows how to do? And then it's giving me permission to let it go and not take it in and just give it back to him in a way that's positive yeah. and loving and compassionate towards myself and towards him. Oh, wow. I yeah. love that idea of the because, permission of letting it go. Yeah, I've been working on that one too, because it's like, if you, if you disregard positive intent, then you start to build resentment and that poisons yeah. you. You're the one that carries it around. He's already You're the one that's affected by it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You're it's, the that's one that's your expertise. So it's really, it's, it's giving you permission to just push it on out. They're doing the best that they can with what they know how. That's super mm -hmm. useful mm -hmm. to me, especially because there are so many things that I end up taking on too long like conversations i've had that just linger that i make more mm -hmm. of than the other person is 
what? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Permission to for let sure. it go in the closet with the Cabbage Patch mm-hmm. dolls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you Some know, of those things they just stick with us. And you know, these are all like such like great holistic um, approaches. And I'm wondering too, if you can speak to like, for the people who might be listening to this, who are like super early in recovery, um, and they're just trying to get from one day to the next, um, what are some happiness tools that they can use or some tools they can use to, to, to have hope around happiness? Because they might not be where we are right now, further down the road. I think Sarah's at like 450 days, at least. I got 500 at Halloween. Ding! There we go. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Awesome. Yep. Thanks, girl. It's rad. Um, so what are some tools that, you know, if you're really, because, you know, change is painful, as I've learned, <laughs> and you might not be able yeah. to see the happiness potential in, in those first few weeks. What are some tools for people who might be listening that they can uh, kind of inflate their own happiness spectrum? Yeah, it's a great question. So I would say early in recovery, sometimes keeping it really simple is the best way to go because you there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of things floating around inside. And so the first thing that I would say is the basics. You know, I don't, um, so Maslow, there's a, a, psych, a psychologist that, a social psychologist that came out with a, kind of hierarchy of needs years ago. And on the very, it's like in a triangle and the very bottom kind of lengthy part of the triangle is our basic needs. It's our water, it's our air, it's our food. It's those basic things that we need. And early in recovery, we know that the, the chemicals in the body are really just kind of all in a loop. So making sure yeah. that you're eating really good nutritious food because that is going to fuel the mood and it's going to fuel the neural transmitters and chemicals in the body to help kind of stabilize that. I know that sounds basic, but the food and the things that we put in our body really, really do affect our brain. And right now we just want to make sure that we're, we're just nurturing and, and providing all of the things that the body needs. So food and water and sleep are incredibly important. The other thing that I would say is- And also because- your body Go ahead. Um, I was just gonna say like the healthy food. Also because like physiologically, we're doing a lot of like cell regeneration and cell repair once we stop putting poison in our bodies. And so you, you really need to feed those cells so that they can like- yep repair on a cellular level repair them right absolutely and so those are the the fundamentals the basics that i would say you know in just getting the physical entity back to where it needs to be now from a cognitive perspective you had said you know how do they find that happiness and i would say you know as you're refueling your body your outer parts finding ways to fuel your your brain and your your mental health. And oftentimes I'll ask people, what are you doing to take care of your mental health? And they'll say things like, well, I'm getting a massage or I'm doing this. 
but there's nothing that's really connecting inward with what's going on for them. And so the first thing I would say is finding daily time for reflection or for quiet. And that can sometimes sound really scary, especially yeah. if you have a busy brain and there's a lot of stuff going on. Yes. And that's where I think journaling is important because it lets you kind of met, you know, kind of figuratively take all of this stuff in your brain and put it on a piece of paper so that it's not just kind of jumbling and moving around inside, but just giving it an, an outlet for being able to say, this is what I'm feeling at this moment in time. And that's okay. But I'm, I'm not going to keep it inside. I'm going to let it kind of come out. Finding that time for reflection and um, kind of interpersonal sensitiveness. The other thing I would say is resetting expectations around happiness, right? Because we don't yeah. want them chasing happiness. We want them to find gratitude and appreciation in the things that are right in front of them. And sometimes that's going back to basics. Like it's the warm sun on my skin, of course, using sunscreen, um, or it's that walk outside where it's cool and, and I see the leaves or it's a hug from, you know, somebody that we love. It's really about those small things that allow us to kind of feel the mind and feel the spirit. Yeah, that's yep. amazing. Can you, you kind of said sitting with yourself and like, um, kind of finding that quiet. And I kind of had the thought that like being able to sit with pain is probably one of the scariest things, which is probably why the reason we were all like using substances, because that was our, that was the scariest thing we could possibly do. And that's actually one of the keys to happiness, I think, is being able to like sit with, sit with pain, just, just endure it and observe it and be with it. It's developing a new relationship with it. Nice. Because I think oftentimes, again, the same way that we have happiness on this one spectrum as the goal, we are wired to try avoid discomfort. It's just who we are. Yes. Right? Yes. But again, it's, it's resetting our expectations and our perspective about discomfort as a necessity of life. And now I'm not saying if you are in excruciating mental pain that you just have to grin and bear it and white knuckle yeah. it. That's where you can use some DDT or dialectical behavior techniques, working with a therapist to learn how to navigate that mental discomfort through grounding exercises, through um, self-soothing, through techniques that allow you to kind of get yourself back to a homophasious place without kind of yeah. impulsive wanting to numb it. But you're right. It, it's yeah. being comfortable. So as my yoga instructor says, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And she says that in the worst positions possible, right? <laughs> but, yeah. but there's always a balance. Right. I mean, we're not, I'm not saying just suck it up and be uncomfortable, find ways to loosen it and soothe it, but there is going to be discomfort. We have to have that toothache in order for us to understand what it feels like to not have that toothache. Yeah. 
Well, I think it comes down to like, you have to be able, yes. And it's like, you have to be able, you have to have the ability to explore it and observe it, not just escape it. And I think that's with any, you know, right. if you have trauma, you know, you need to be able to explore it and observe it so that you can work through it, not just escape it with some dopamine rush, you know, of like, I don't know, playing video games or doing drugs or alcohol or eating cake, you know, shopping. Yeah. And this is where I get right. so pissed at the, at the marketing that goes on in the alcohol industry toward us consumers, because there is very much this message to us that alcohol will take away all of your pain. And, and this is where I have to remind myself, and it was very useful in the beginning that this is a, it was easy. It was useful to me to be able to actually look at that marketing and seeing how it's being directed toward me so that I can see the bullshit about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I mean, I think that's part of it for me, at least in re re reanalyzing my own relationship with pain and getting comfortable with that perspective is understanding that the substance will not answer my pain. Like it will not solve my pain mm -hmm. inherently. And that took me 20 years to learn, you know? <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, when um, uh, Laura, what's her name? The we are the luckiest. When she said, "Oh, Laura that, McCowan." Yeah. Laura McCowan. When she said, "Drinking alcohol is like pouring gasoline on anxiety," that was like such a nail in the coffin moment for me. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. This has been amazing, Lisa. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. I really do. I think yeah, other people, I, for the limited people that I told one-to-one -one about this, they were like, oh, you got to send me that. <laughs> because, I <think> yeah. <laughs> because I think it is, I, I mean, because even there are, there are such, there are such high and low moments in recovery. And in the, in the beginning, it's just yeah. really, really hard. And um, you don't always see the happiness that you're going to find later on. And, and lastly, I want to ask how much does patience play into it? Because I do tell people to try to be patient. And, um, you know, when you're talking about um, all these things that we can do um, mentally and physically to help us through early recovery, um, how, how much is patience a part of that? Because it does take time, right. For us to appreciate the sun on our face. Some days you're like, you feel the sun in your face and like, I just want to go to the bar. <laughs> right. Right. Now it plays a really, really key role because, you know, substances can provide relief pretty quickly. So if we're talking about a cigarette or some kind of a substance that we inhale, it can hit the brain within like 10 seconds, right? And alcohol can have a very quick impact on our system as well. Within a matter of maybe 10, 15 minutes, all of a sudden we start to feel that. The, the tools and techniques that you start to learn through therapy or through other, you know, mechanisms in life about just being at peace or grounding or being mentally aware, having that mindfulness, they don't usually work as quick. And so there's always this kind of offset of, I'm used to finding relief pretty darn quickly when I'm using a substance. And then we take that substance away and you're looking for relief and the tools and strategies that you're learning 
take a little bit more time. And that can feel very frustrating, especially when you are in pain and you want that numbing to go. And so yeah. again, being able to understand that it is, it needs to be a habit that you form and it needs to be done over time. But just like sugar, when we eat sugar, we get a big sugar rush and then we crash. A lot of the old coping mechanisms using substances work the same way. They're short term, but they're not longer lasting. And the next thing you know, you're going in for another relief, however that looks. Yeah. Some of the techniques that you're learning through therapy are longer lasting. So you don't have, they help with the relief for longer periods of time. They're much more sustainable. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely true. I can remember like, I think one of the times when I first realized I might've had a quote unquote problem was when I used to go home and I could not open up the bottle of wine fast enough. Like, I mean, it was like, I need this. I need this. Where's the, you know? like, if there wouldn't have been a cork opener in the house, I might've turned into Hulk, no joke. Like, but now I realized now that that is completely gone for me. And I've developed other coping mechanisms that I don't need that anymore, which is a huge relief, but it, I'm, I'm constantly aware and amazed by how long it's taken me to get here. And, and I'm, and that's one of the things that keeps me from relapsing even because I know how much work I've put in to, to remain in this spot. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that patience and self-compassion and, and acceptance of this is going to be hard. You know, nobody can take away that journey or that difficulty that somebody is going to experience. But what they can do is learn strategies and, and have scaffolding along the way with some of the physical things we talked about with the basics and the journaling and the mental health. The other thing that I, I do feel I need to call out is community. It's so incredibly important. This community nice. that you have here, the communities of having somebody else that when you're feeling, you know, frustrated or hopeless, having that community that says, we get it, we've been there and you can do this. And so you, you don't feel like you're alone and isolated in that experience. That is incredibly important as well in early recovery and in long-term recovery as well. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And that allows me to add as well for the listeners to go to our website, SoberTownPodcast.com and also to the I Am Sober app, which is where most of us got sober. Mm -hmm. And we will also be putting um, a link to Lisa Chapin's services. um, And uh, for those listeners who are in Colorado, which I know there are several, If they're looking for that sort of support, um, they can reach out to Lisa if they're interested. Thank you so much again today. For yep. This has been awesome. Yeah, very nice being here. Thank you so much. So today I've been with Sarah Malloy. And I've been here with Elaine Schuyler Neal. And we are the Sober Baddies. Thanks for listening. Yep. Adios. <laughs>